Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents or other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, we'll be talking about involving older adults in the development of new technologies that can address age-related challenges. My guest is Richard Caro, the co-founder of Tech Enhanced Life, a public benefit corporation with the mission of improving the quality of life of aging adults and their families. Through Tech Enhanced Life and his other work, Richard has been quite immersed in the intersection of aging, innovation, and technology for these past few years. In fact, he was on the podcast two years ago for episode 10, and we talked about how to select a personal emergency response system. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that in some ways I find more interesting and much more important, which is how Richard and his colleagues at Tech Enhanced Life have been engaging older adults in discussing and exploring new technologies through a community that they call the Longevity Explorers. As you may know, although innovators and businesses have been eager to tap into what is sometimes called the longevity economy, older adults haven't necessarily been at the center of the process of developing and assessing these new technologies. But that's not the case with the Longevity Explorers. So I'm delighted to have Richard here today to talk more about this community, as I love the way he's involving older adults in innovation and addressing age-related challenges And I think we can all learn quite a lot from what they have been doing. So, Richard, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Leslie. Nice to be here. So before we get into the Longevity Explorers, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you to co-found Tech Enhanced Life? Sure. I'm a physicist by training long ago, and I spent a lot of my career developing various sorts of medical devices in both large and small company settings. But for a long time now, I've been part of the Silicon Valley ecosystem where I uh, work with little startups and do some angel investing and give people advice. And I'm always looking for, um, you know, what's coming along that's going to be an exciting opportunity that not everybody has really thought about yet. And maybe five or six years ago, I got very interested in the whole idea of the demographics of aging and the fact that technology is so powerful that really, you know, we ought to be able to have all these great products that improve aging. But I noticed no one much was thinking about it or doing anything about it. And so I got interested in it. And Tech Enhanced Life is really um, an an initiative to try and uh, contribute to that space. Mm-hmm. So what exactly does Tech Enhanced Life do? Well, that's a good question. So there's a few different parts to the answer to that. First of all, the way we're organized, we're what's called a public benefit corporation, which is sort of a cross between a nonprofit and a for-profit company. And the reason we chose that is that we wanted to put our mission kind of first. And our mission is really improving the quality of life of older adults and their families. But uh, rather than being a nonprofit, we decided that we wanted to kind of leverage the whole, you know, entrepreneurial juices of Silicon Valley. And we felt that there really ought to be a way to have a business model that supported our mission. And so up until now, we've mostly been focusing on the mission. And we're going to be talking about that more today. But in the back of our minds, we're also trying to have a business model that makes it all self-sustaining. Right. And how much of this was personal for you? Um, You don't have to tell us exactly how old you are, but I know sometimes people go into this because they have an older uh, parent or an older relative, or um, I think you might be a boomer actually. So some, you know, some people in that age range are starting to sort of think ahead to their own future. How much of that sort of played into your developing this, this interest? Well, I do have a mother who lives in Australia and is of the sort of age we're talking about, and I am a boomer. 
Um, and so I think that's relevant. To be honest, when I started, that wasn't really my biggest motivation. But, um, you know, the more I do it, the more sort of personal it all becomes. So um, it's one of those nice things where everything kind of intersects. Right. How old is your mom? Uh, she's in her 80s, but I don't think she'd want me to tell you her exact oh, age. All right. Well, then well then we won't go into the details. So um, so what did lead you to create the uh, Longevity Explorers? And, I mean, tell us more about this group, especially since, you know, when I first heard about it, I sort of assume often that it was about just finding high-tech ways to extend people's lifespan because that's <laughs> been a lot of what the uh, some of the high-profile interests in aging and innovation has has addressed, but that's actually, I think, not really the focus of uh, of your company and the group. So, so tell us more about that. Yes, it's definitely not about um, uh, clever ways to extend uh, lifespan. But so, the Longevity Explorers are a we think of it as a club, really, um, a community of older adults. They're typically in their seventies, eighties, nineties. We even have one or two in their early hundreds, and they're older adults who are interested in the fact that the way we age and the way society treats older people and the the products that are relevant are changing. And this group of people thinks that they would like to be involved in those changes and helping to influence them uh, in all sorts of different ways. Um, so it's really a club of like-minded people that um, think of themselves as explorers of the future of aging. Mm-hmm. And so what gave you the idea of creating this? And I'm especially thinking, I saw the um, the presentation, the, the replay of the presentation you gave at the American Society on Aging, um, yes. where you had some sort of older adults expressing a need to be more involved. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that just yeah. really struck me, and I would love for us to share that with the audience. Well, actually, you're right. That's the most interesting aspect, and I should have already mentioned it. So, we, you know, so I got interested in this, as I said, five or so years ago, and I started um, interviewing people in this demographic. And the first thing I, I used to ask them about was, you know, what are some of the challenges of growing older? And I was thinking, you know, I'd be learning about all these interesting problems that needed solving, which I did. But very early on, I had a conversation with one lady who was, I think she was 92, and she came to our interview um, with a friend because she was physically quite frail, but she was very mentally on the ball. You know, she had, um, she had her own blog that she posted to every, every day, I think. And she took a photo every day of something interesting and wrote a little piece on it. And, um, she was a fascinating person and we had a long discussion about, you know, the challenges and things, but then what she said is, you know, the thing that, um, bothers me most about growing older is I miss being useful. And, um, you know, I hadn't heard that before. And so I was a bit surprised, but I've heard it a lot now. And, um, you know, we, we talked about it a bit more. And what came out of that conversation was really pretty interesting and, and sort of surprising to me. What came out of it was, um, it wasn't that she had never been useful in her life. It wasn't that she didn't think she still could be useful. She felt that society had kind of closed off her opportunities to be useful. And I've since discovered that this is kind of a quite common point of view. And at least in this country, we've, we've sort of, um, you know, there's this whole large demographic with years and years of accumulated knowledge and wisdom, and we've really sidelined them a little bit. And, and so um, once I realized this, and this became a recurring theme, I sort of, I thought to myself, well, God, that's terrible. What a waste. You know, what a waste for everybody. What a waste for the people. What a waste for society. And since I was busily sitting there thinking at the same time about how we could um, make an impact on clever new products for growing, you know, to help growing with growing old, it just occurred to me suddenly that maybe there was some way to combine these two things. And so we started the Longevity Explorers as a kind of club to do all the things I mentioned before, you know, finding new products and solutions and identifying problems, but also to try and um, make a small contribution to this aspect of being useful. And in fact, we find that in our clubs, you know, there's definitely a sense of camaraderie and purpose and that sort of thing that people find quite important. So we're quite excited about that. Yeah. So um, I think what you're getting at is is uh, partly the impact of ageism, right? Um, certainly here in the United States and I think in, uh, you know, many other um, 
countries, developed countries as well, and maybe less developed countries. I just know less about them, but that, that we uh, as a society start assuming that people have less to contribute or are less able as they get older in a way that uh, can be quite unfair to them and um, that, uh, that they certainly feel in a negative way. I think that's right. Yeah. Yep. And, and maybe as we go on, we'll be coming up with some, some examples. But what I've been really um, struck by is uh, leaving aside the sort of ism word that you just mentioned and the political aspects of that, which are important, but maybe not my expertise. What I've been struck by is the fact that this demographic really has a huge amount to contribute to the sorts of techie things and um, ideation type things I'm interested in. And I think that's really important. So, yeah, no, I think you're completely spot on. And so I, I want you to tell us a little bit more about the kinds of issues that um, that your your longevity explorers have been addressing. But but while we're on this this topic of this this group of older people whose experience and abilities are relatively untapped, I think we both probably became interested in the aging innovation ecosystem about the same time. For me, it was in the fall of 2012 when I started the Jerry Tech blog. And, um, and there was all this interest in it, but at the same time, you know, not that much direct involving of older adults. And um, why do you think that is? Since there was all this interest in, uh, I forget what the, the figure is that they quote, the longevity economy, you know, the, the money right. that will be spent by boomers and their parents or boomers on their older parents and, and so on and so forth. So why, uh, why, why aren't more businesses or more of this innovation sort of ecosystem tapping into older adults? Well, I don't know if I've got good answers to that. Um, You know, I like to think that we are tapping into it, so that's good. Um, I do feel we're a bit in in the minority there, so so I think you're right. Um, I think – so I don't know the answer, but here's what I suspect. I think that lots of um, companies and the people who are charged with the mission of getting interested in this space – uh, you know, they're typically uh, of a much younger age than the ones we're talking about. And it probably doesn't really occur to them that um, this group has a lot to offer. But but I think it goes a bit beyond that because, you know, customer development and interacting with your customers and things is sort of almost a religion at the moment in places like Silicon Valley. But for some reason, the companies that seem to be attacking this space until recently didn't seem so focused on that. But what I think is really exciting is just in the last 12 months, um, I'm seeing a big change in that, actually. So I'm, I think it's very encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It almost makes me wonder if maybe uh, what we saw at first was the initial wave of interest. Maybe. You know, where there was this, this flurry of interest and in, in getting funded, but now that it's maturing a bit, they um, – and also I think there have been relatively few successes – Mm-hmm. in the space or a lot of the companies that there was some excitement about early on have, you know, or maybe we were all sort of hoping it was going to be like the iPhone, which took off fairly quickly. And it, and that that's an exception that usually takes a little while for for new innovations to get going. But maybe now as this uh, this matures a bit, it's going to, to evolve into people doing more of what you're doing, which is working um, more directly with older adults in tapping into their insights and expertise and, and using their experience. So maybe you can tell us now, what are the kinds of issues that your longevity explorer groups uh, might discuss? And what does a meeting look like? Like how many people and, you know, what happens at these meetings? So um, the longevity explorers do two different sorts of activities. Um, their main, the, the main focus and where we started all this was what I call the club meetings or our circle meetings. And let me talk about those first. Sure. And so... Um, there are multiple circles of these explorers and each circle is kind of in a geography or associated with some, you know, community of some sort. Um, and each circle meets on average once a month, except they have a vacation over the summer. Um, and there are usually, you know, between 10 and maybe 30 at the most people in the room at a meeting. And, uh, there's kind of a format, but, uh, you know, without going into the boring details, we, we do different things each time. We sort of interact about um, challenges that people have or exciting products they've discovered. Um, sometimes we have some specific things where we decide we're going to brainstorm about some specific problems or you know some specific solutions um, and generally explore new ideas uh, 
really partly for the sake of knowledge and, you know, partly as a self-enrichment type exercise. So that's one thing that happens. Um, and then the other thing that happens in the same meetings is really um, trying to discover new products. So uh, individual explorers will frequently bring along something and say, guess what? I just heard about product X and sometimes they bought it and brought it along. Sometimes they've read about it and talk about it. And um, there's kind of a discussion. Maybe we'll have some examples of that later on. Um, and uh, so, so that's kind of the club activity. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, uh, so, so those are entirely for the benefit of the members, right? The whole point of view is to learn stuff and we publish it all on the internet and it's available for older adults around the world to learn from. So there's a certain amount of disseminating, sharing type stuff that we try and do as well. But um, maybe uh, 18 months ago now, a number of different explorers came up to me and they said, look, Richard, you know, this is really incredibly enjoyable, but we keep trying out all these new products and frankly, most of them are pretty bad. And um, it's all very well that we're trying out all these bad products and it's good that we're telling people that they're not very good because, you know, then they won't waste their money. But it would be even better if we could somehow roll up our sleeves and get involved with these companies before they build the bad products so that they build good ones. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, uh, initially we, we didn't think we wanted to do that because we thought it would kind of get in the way of the club aspect and, um, all that, but, but we thought about it more and realized that was probably the right thing to do. And we, uh, ended up testing how to do that and keeping these two types of activities, uh, distinct. And so now we have a whole separate set of activities that we call sponsored explorations, where we work with a company to help that company develop something that, people like our explorers are really going to want. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, um, well, that's wonderful. Well, let's come back to the club for, for a bit. I mean, what are some, mm -hmm. can you give us some examples? What kinds of challenges have uh, the explorers been, been bringing up? And, and do you sort of email or contact people beforehand saying everybody, you know, come prepared to talk about a, uh, a challenge? Um, I'm sort of curious both about how, how you sort of manage that for the group, but also the things that, that people have brought up. Um, it varies, uh, you know, there's no specific formula. It's very kind of organic and each circle has its own little personality. So they all behave a bit differently, but let me give you a couple of examples. Um, so, uh, maybe, um, the beginning of last year, beginning of 2017, one of our circles, we have this bit at the beginning, which is almost like show and tell, you know, at, at school and, um, people often bring stuff or talk about stuff. And one of the ladies, started talking about um, the product that Amazon makes that uh, starts with an A and which I realize I shouldn't pronounce because it'll start talking to me from the back of my office. Oh, because you have one. Um, I don't have one, so I can say it. Alexa. You can say it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Um, anyway. And you just illustrated one of the problems that. with having an Alexa. You can't talk I about her have. without her starting to listen in on you. Exactly. But maybe they'll fix That's that in right. future rounds. Um, yes. Okay. Um, I don't know if your listeners need to be explained what um, she is or not, um, Leslie. Well, but... maybe we should. So uh, let me see. Um, Alexa is Amazon. Actually, you know um, what? Or maybe you can explain it. I, I was just going to say, perhaps I can just work that into my little story here because um, because actually, you know, so this explorer said, I want to tell you about this fabulous new thing I've got. And she, she said, so the explorer said, she, this product is just my best friend. And she went on to tell the group about how she uses this uh, Alexa. This, yes, uh, to um, do all sorts of things. To she has her tell her the news. She has her play her some music, um, and and a variety of other things. And the group was really fascinated, but no one except this one person had ever heard of this before, right? So it was kind of a a new thing to them. And uh, I, at the time, thought it was not terribly interesting to me, and I didn't really think it would be that interesting to anyone else either. So it was kind of one of those things that often happen where it's you know, it's interesting to hear the person's opinion, everyone kind of enjoys it, and you move on. But over the next few months, the same thing happened in several of our other circles, and um, they weren't quite as passionate about her, mm -hmm. about Alexa. The, the Alexa, yeah. Uh, oops. Um, can you unplug but, her and um, so that you can talk about her? <laughs> <laughs> I could have. She's on the other side of the room. All right. Um, but um, anyway, um, 
you know, over time, it went from there being one person in each circle was telling everyone else about it to suddenly there'd be two or three other people that would say, yeah, I got one too. And um, so there's this kind of organic um, bubbling up of particular topics. And after a while, we realized that actually they were all finding it very useful and liked it a lot. And so we did a bit more systematic exploration of what exactly people use it for in our Explorer group. Because if you think about it, when you go on the internet, you know, you can find lots of marketing material from Amazon about this product and you can find reviews and you can find all sorts of stuff about how a 20-year-old would like to use this product, but there's nothing whatsoever about what an 80-year-old would want it for. And so we kind of ended up summarizing this uh, on, on our website where we put a lot of this stuff um, as, well, here's what a group of 70 or 80-year-olds find useful about this particular product. And they did like it a lot, and there were lots of specific things they found to do with it. Uh, so that's kind of an example of how one of the topics emerges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, great. Well, if there's a, if that's a page that is uh, free for people to, to view, we can definitely post it in the show notes for anybody in the audience who might be interested in learning more about how Alexa might work for an older adult. And uh, I don't have one, but I guess if I, if I had to briefly say what Alexa is, it's Amazon's voice activated assistant and the sort of program that responds to voice commands. So you have to have like a, a device for Alexa to work through, which I guess is often called the echo, right? Some kind of little thing that, that listens. And, and then when you say, Hey, Alexa, you can ask Alexa questions or to play music, or to do things in your house, or I think there's actually quite a long list of things that you could potentially set Alexa up to do, but that it's it's partly about a uh, a technology that you speak to. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And as you say, it can do lots of interesting things that perhaps we don't need to go into right this second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, at the um, Aging 2.0, when they had their their annual event last fall, that I went to, and I think you were there too. We're both here. I was. We're both based in San Francisco here. But I found it very interesting. They had an older adult talking about Alexa and how in his continuing care retirement community, they had yes. something that sounds similar to your Longevity Explorer Club, but sort of based with the residents. That's right. Yeah, I've talked to them subsequently. I agree. It is quite similar. Yeah, where they exchange ideas. But I think what's what's interesting about that too is, is, that, is that maybe for certain technologies, it's very helpful for people to be in a group where you can not only have somebody bring it up as something that's useful or a solution for a certain type of challenge or convenience, but that you also have this community that can provide you with some support in um, in uh, learning to take advantage of it, which is a very different experience than having it kind of marketed to you and arrive and then you're there by yourself or maybe even with a younger family member. Um, I mean, even if you have your grandchild or younger relatives showing you how to use something that's not quite the same as having somebody who is more similar to you and might just understand how you want to interface with it in a different way. I think that's right. You know, we've seen some really interesting and striking examples of that with um, apps for smartphones, um, in particular things like Uber. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, we've done quite a lot of work trying to find ways to turn smartphones into really useful tools for 80-year-olds. And, um and again, there's this difficulty of deciding, well, what would you want to use it for, which is often different to what it's marketed for, you know, what, what you read about. And um, the interesting thing about these ride-sharing services, of which there are a number, I just use Uber as a sort of example, but there's Lyft and various other things. Um, the good thing about them is that really it's a way to effortlessly get from point A to point B without personally having to drive your car. And so, you know, for 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 younger people, that might just seem like a mild convenience. But if you're somebody who is no longer comfortable with driving yourself, then you it suddenly makes the difference between having to wait for the sort of um, the uh, kindliness of some well-meaning social worker to bring along the paratransit van to take you to one of a handful of places in a way that's possibly rather stigmatizing. You know, that's one option. Or suddenly you can have a car appear at your doorstep whenever you want it and take it take you to wherever you want um, when you want it. Mm-hmm. And so it's very liberating. And uh, where I was going with that was um, when we've when we, we've uh, run several kind of um, exploration, app exploration, um, uh, serial class type things. And the 
peer-to-peer learning is what really works. So everyone likes the concept in theory when you explain it, um, but then there's a bit of a barrier to learning how to use it. And the thing that really helps is when the the two older adults are sitting down together, kind of comparing notes about why they got stuck and learning from each other and then actually trying it out together. Suddenly that makes a huge difference, much more than if it was the grandchild who can sometimes be a bit impatient. Right, right, yeah. So yeah, that's wonderful. And so tell us, what are some other challenges that have come up? I have to say, I still, I probably don't know nearly enough about Alexa. I still think of it as something that can be more for uh, for convenience than for sort of solving what I consider like really substantial problems. But that's <laughs> probably my bias also <laughs> as a geriatrician interested, you know, either in significant health problems or focusing on people who are developing really significant limitations to their memory or their physical abilities. But speaking of limitations and physical abilities, I think one of the examples you gave maybe in the talk you gave at the American Society on on Aging meeting was related to opening jars, right? And that that's a kind of a problem that we're often unaware of when we're younger, but is actually quite important to daily life. And, um, And that your groups also define technology more broadly, because it's not just something with a lot of electronic wizardry or circuitry, right? Yeah, there's quite a few points in there, aren't there? Because you touched on um, the idea that uh, some of these products seem kind of almost trivial, right? And, um, you know, I used to think that too, actually. And the the jar openers is a great example of that. Uh, If you'd asked me five years ago what I thought about jar openers, I would have said, I don't know, maybe they're useful. They sound kind of low-tech and uninteresting. But um, what we've found in our Explorer meetings is that there's a whole class of activities. I think of them as kind of everyday activities. Mm. You know, they're not li- they're not life threatening, um, and uh, you could say they're unimportant or trivial, but well, as a they make a huge difference. No. As a geriatrician, I would say asking Alexa what the weather is or to play your music, you know, is is delightful and nice. But um, yes, your ability to manage day to day life is uh, something that in geriatrics we're very interested in. We call it functional ability, but it's true. It's often not on the radar of most health professionals. Yeah, but things like jar opening, you know, mm-hmm. it's slightly on the peripheral of what you might normally call activities of daily living, but it's very important. And let me just tell you an anecdote about that. So very early on in our Explorer cycles, um, we were still finding our way. You know, everything I'm telling you today is what we've learned after doing this for three years now of these clubs. And when we started, we didn't really have, you know, a clear idea of how to run these sessions or what we would talk about. And so early on, we were casting around to see what would be interesting. And one of the explorers said, you know, I just bought this jar opener and it's really terrible. And I want to bring it along next month and show everybody so no one else wastes their money on it. Ah, uh huh. <laughs> and then <laughs> the person next to them said, Well, that's interesting because I just bought one and it's really good. So I'm going to bring it along too and tell everybody that it's good. And the, the genesis of that conversation was that at the next month's meeting of that circle, everybody came with their plastic bag with one or more jar openers in it. You know, some had quite a few and they put them out on the table and there was a kind of lively discussion about which one they liked and which one they didn't. And it was pretty interesting. What was really interesting was just how universal the interest was in that tool. Um, almost everyone in this in, in our circles, you know, can resonate. Either they have a problem or their spouse has a problem with opening jars. And so, you know, it, it was it was um, popular and seemingly important to these people. And um, so what we did, we we sort of, you know, I went home after that session. I thought, hmm, that was kind of that was kind of interesting and fun. But what did I really learn, right? And um, I decided that what we should do is something a little bit more systematic. And so I went out and I went on Amazon and I found all of the jar openers that were well-reviewed and looked at all promising. Oh. And I bought them all. And how many how many jar openers were there? <laughs> uh, well, there are, many, there are many, but I think I probably bought between 20 and 30 different models. Oh, wow. Um, and, um, you know, and you couldn't tell from Amazon um, – you know, really, which was best. Um, they all seemed quite good, but they all were different. And so, anyway, so I bought them all. And I designed this little kind of quasi-scientific test protocol. And uh, at the next month, we took that collection of jar openers plus a bunch of different jars of various sorts along to each of our circles. And um, 
we ran a little test. Um, and what we were trying, what we initially thought we might find is, you know, that one was much better than the other or something like that. But what we learned was that actually, and this was kind of a recurring theme of what I learned from these things, actually, what we learned was that different people need jar openers for different reasons. Mm. And there were actually three separate reasons why somebody might need a jar opener. One was, you know, they have a grip that isn't quite strong enough to really grab the lid. That's one problem. Um, but there's a different class of, uh, of, of um, a different group of people that have a quite different problem, which is leverage. So they might be able to grip the jar, but when they try and turn it, uh, they're not, the twist part is hard, right? And there was a third thing that I'm forgetting right this second. But anyway, um, so first we uh, we sort of learned from all this, you know, that there were these three different problems. Um, and then finally, we found that um, depending on which of those problems you had, some jar openers were notably better than others. So rather than saying there's one and it's best for everybody, we kind of said, well, this one's good if, you know, you're trying to solve problem A and a different one's good if you're trying to solve problem B. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I just found the uh, report on jar opener. So since this was of interest to many people in your circles, and there are probably many people in the audience who'd be interested also, we'll be sure to share the link to that in the show notes so that people um, can see. But I, I think that's a great insight that um, that often there are within a sort of problem or solution, there are a few kind of subsets and that it's really uh, helpful to help people identify which um the sort of um, uh, selection tool aspect of it, right? Of helping people realize, well, is is the problem that you need something that's going to help you grip more or manage the, the twist part? And that can avoid people ending up with an opener that uh, they think is lousy. You know, maybe it just wasn't well, yes. a good fit for, for what they needed. Not to mention that quite a few of them just don't work no matter what your problem is. Well, and that's important to figure that out as well. Well, that's, uh, that's fascinating. And also, I think in the end, most of these jar openers were not terribly high tech in that they didn't involve like particularly new technologies or circuitry. They're just, it's technology as a, a tool, right? Yeah, I think that's back to the point you made earlier about the definition of technology. I think that's quite a good example because it's not high tech. It's not a rocket or anything. It's certainly not a computer. But, you know, it, it is... It, it, it's something beyond the human hands. I think it is technology myself. So it's kind of low-key technology that can be very useful. Right. Yeah. It's, it's technology as something that uh, allows you to do something that you uh, otherwise have difficulty doing or allows you to do it better or faster right. than you could on, on your own. Well, so to, to come back to, to Alexa for a moment, has anybody in your group found that it's uh, been helpful for, um, I'm thinking of some of, you know, our common challenges in geriatrics, you know, helping people with their medications, you know, with some of these uh, daily life tasks that are quite important to them, maintaining their health or independent living. Well, that's kind of interesting. I, I think that this whole class of um, artificial intelligences, which is really what we're talking about an example of, I think that um, they're sufficiently early that maybe they don't quite solve any of those problems really that well just yet. But I think you can sense where they're going and that they will be good at it. And we're starting to see um, quite a lot of little startup companies um, and actually some big ones that are interested in the idea of building capability on top of these existing artificial intelligences so that they do the sort of specialized things that you just described like medication management better. And there are, there are some right now that claim to do that, but we haven't been super impressed by them yet. But I think that's a direction that's going to be very good going forward. Mm -hmm. And so then um, in the circle, do most people end up finding a sort of a satisfactory solution to the, the challenge that they bring up? Or are there some challenges that just, you know, come up and nothing quite comes up? Well, you know, as I'm sure you're very familiar, it's hard to solve some of the mm -hmm. things that people care about when they're in this age group. Um, alleviate might be a better word or, um, or you know, workarounds and things like that. Um, so um, I think that... Um, what I've noticed is, you know, we've had way over 100 of these group meetings now. I lost track a while back, but it was 100 when I counted about a year ago. Um, and um, I think the common thread is that people often go away 
with much more insight about the thing they cared about than they started. Mm-hmm. So some, sometimes they do have a solution. Uh, sometimes they might not have a solution, but they kind of have something that makes it less annoying than it was before. Um, and even if they don't have either of those things, what quite often happens is they kind of exchange information with their peers and they realize that they're not the only ones with this problem. And, you know, there's a certain amount of commiseration and, um, you know, sharing of solutions and workarounds that happens. So I think it'd be overstating it to say that, you know, we solve everything, but um, I think we take steps in the right direction. Well, yes. And, um, and actually that sort of a feeling of just uh, being heard and realizing you're not the only one that is so valuable to people. I mean, that is has been my observation. <laughs> people find it incredibly helpful. Um, so especially when a lot of older adults sort of uh, say that they often feel relatively unseen or unheard, I imagine that people participating in this must really just value that that connection and that chance to share the, the challenge with others. I think that's right. Yeah, I think... Um... What I've noticed over the last few years is that um, the the content of these discussions is certainly important. You know, if it wasn't interesting, no one would want to come. But I think it's the whole aspect of being part of a group, you know, and the same people come each time often. And um, so you, they build up a camaraderie and the discussions tend to become deeper and more kind of revealing about personal issues, you know, over time as everyone gets more comfortable with each other. And so that's why I've started to call it a club, which I used not to use that word. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you've learned a lot from from doing these. And have you personally facilitated most of them? Yes, I, I have. Until quite recently, I facilitated every single one. Um, but um as towards the end of last year it was getting a bit frustrating because um while i enjoyed it actually um i kept getting emails from people that said we'd like to have a circle in you know place x uh and i would say well i don't know how to do that because there's only one of me and you know i've already got about as many as i can do um and so i decided that was just a mistake and we came up with a slightly modified version um that we think will let us kind of help get new circles started without me having to facilitate them all and then have them all interconnected so that there's still the cross-pollination of ideas from circle to circle, which turns out to be very important. Mm -hmm. And we've started three circles like that in uh, this year. Um, And I think we're still waiting to be sure that this new approach works, but uh, so far it's looking very promising. Great. So at this point, how many explorer groups do you have? And I guess so most of them are he- they're here in the Bay Area. They're the ones that you had started previously that you were facilitating. How many of those do you have? Uh, there are a total of seven, I think, right this second. Uh, I'm sounding hesitant because we had five. We started three, but we merged two of them. So I think that adds up to seven. And we had one in Sacramento for quite a long time. Um, so it wasn't just the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And then our most recent one is uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. That's that's uh, we're very excited about that because obviously that's a big, a big jump from California. So that'll be the newer model where you where you aren't facilitating. Yes, that's correct. And so I'm sorry if I missed this earlier. Will you be hiring a facilitator or does someone who starts the group have to be willing to facilitate and learn to facilitate? You know, um, let me give you a long answer to that. Um, the, the long answer is the power of this, I think, is that it's um, peer-to-peer. You know, I've noticed that with many things that are for older adults, it's all about an expert giving a talk and the older adults sit back and listen, right? And there's all the activities director, you know, runs the bingo session or whatever. Um, and so this is fundamentally different and, and I'm hoping it will always be fundamentally different. So there's no kind of people running it. It's meant to be peer-to-peer. And um, in the new model, um, each new circle um, has a, you know, I'm still trying to decide what the right word is, but a, a sort of leadership team, I guess. Um, and that needs to include somebody who wants to be a facilitator. And I help them learn how to do that if they're not already expert at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if any of our listeners, for instance, were really interested in this and wanted to, to, to join, uh, a group uh, here in the Bay Area, or maybe start one in their in their area. How would they go about doing that? Uh, they would probably just go to our website that I guess will be in the show notes and 
contact us. There's various buttons <laughs> to do that um, and, and tell us that that's what they want to do. And if they're somewhere where there's an existing circle, we can introduce them to that. Uh, and if they're interested in starting a new one, we sort of have a, a formula for that and a process which would start by just chatting to me on the phone and I'd explain how that works. Mm-hmm. Great. And so we've been focusing a lot on uh, older adults, and I agree with you. There's definitely something really valuable um, in putting them in the center and having them be in this this peer group. But but often when it comes to technologies or even problems, right, affecting older people, families are quite uh, involved. They're often, in some cases, yep. they are the ones who are concerned first. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the only ones concerned, depending on the problem at hand. There are some types of problems that older adults may have difficulty seeing for themselves in the way that their their family does. Uh, or in other cases, the family's concern is just out of proportion <laughs> Yes. Uh, to the issue. There's certainly some of that. But uh, all this work sort of raises the question of, you know, what about involving family caregivers? Have you done that at all? Or do they ever come to your, your circles? Oh, that's obviously a very important aspect. Um, as I sort of explained at the beginning, you know, this was triggered by the desire of older adults to be more involved in being useful and doing things for themselves. So that's partly why the emphasis has started there. But um, I, I completely agree with you that the other side of the family caregiver, older adult dyad is also very important. We've we've tried a few things to do with that historically. Um, we had a series of meetups that we ran for several years um, where we would often get people, um, you know, the sort of adult child who was, caring, who was helping their parent type thing. Um, and um, at one of our circles, which is at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, that has a very different kind of um, uh, demographic than all the other circles, actually. And there are often people like that that come to that circle. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, but well, we've, we've never quite, um, we haven't had quite the emphasis on that. And so I don't think we've quite figured out the perfect model in our circles for involving caregivers. But what's interesting is um, over the last 18 months, as we've started to do more of these projects where we help companies um, figure out, you know, good products the to sponsored develop. Sponsored explorations, I think you called them. Right. Mm-hmm. I do. That's right. As we've done more of those, um, you know, sometimes, so depending on the nature of the product, it's sometimes extremely important to involve the family caregiver group as well as the older adults. And in fact, we're doing one right this second where the product is such that the family caregiver is very important. And we're quite interested in finding family caregivers who like the sound of rolling up their sleeves and helping, you know, useful products come to life. Um, and uh, so if anyone's interested in that, that's listening, we'd love to, um, we'd love to include them. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like if uh, people are interested in participating in now, do most people who participate in sponsored explorations have to first participate in a local circle or do you um is the i guess is the explorations like a subset of people in a club or are you kind of creating sort of two groups like the the group of people who who are interested in working closely with with businesses on developing something and then the ones who want to you know be part of a, a regularly meeting group that talks about their their challenges and explores new technologies together we try not to have hard and fast rules, but the way it usually works is um, the people who come to the clubs sort of get first priority in interesting things just because, you know, they're part of the club. Mm-hmm. Um, but often um, we find that there's uh, room for others as well. Um, and so we kind of have, I think of them as um, concentric circles of, of people. So the the inner circle, if you like, is the people that clump, come to the club meetings every month and, you know, we all know each other and and that's, that's the inner circle. Um, and then we have a group who perhaps for whatever reason, they're not in the right geography to be as part of a circle, but they've got interested in it and they've contacted us and reached out or they come to you know some of my talks or something like that. There's kind of that second circle of people who are interested in these sponsored explorations. Um, maybe they'll be interested in a circle in the future. So you know that's the second circle. And then the third circle is people who um, really don't do either of those things, but thinks this sounds uh, interesting and would like to get involved. And we have room for those sometimes too. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like if people are interested, they can they can come to the site and that you probably have a, sort of a place for them to sign up so that they can get updates and hear you know more about these projects as they evolve or if opportunities arise. So does that sound about right? 
Yes, that's exactly okay, right. Okay, so we'll put a, we'll try to, by the time this goes live, I'll try to find a, a good link to share with the audience so that if they want to hear more about either, uh, you know, more circles opening up potentially near them or the opportunity to be part of these explorations, they'll be able to, to hear from you. That'd be great. So it sounds like you're, in terms of your plans, now that you've been doing this a few years, your plans for, for Tech Enhanced Life over the next few years, you've mentioned that you're, you're working on figuring out a way to expand the longevity explorers groups without uh, you having to facilitate each one and without them having to be in a place where you can physically be. What are your other uh, sort of um, thoughts for the next few years for what you've created so far? You know, it's hard to it's hard to have thoughts for the next few years. That sounds very organised. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think um, where we're up to at the moment is that I think there's I, I'm very excited about the potential for this um, this kind of organically growing community of older adults who want to actually uh, take charge of their own destinies. How I think about mm-hmm. it, um, and uh, you know, we've just released. Uh, you know, scratch the surface of the potential for that. And so um, I'd like to see that become a much larger movement Um, and, you know, being able to have it grow organically without me having to have my finger in every single piece of it is obviously a key step. So now that we've done that, I'm very keen to see it grow some more. Yeah. And how has this work changed the way you think about your own aging or your, your own future? Uh, You know, I've never really thought deeply about that, but, um, I'm sure it has because, you know, I, I've become intimately familiar with all sorts of issues um, and their solutions and the difficulties of developing the right products, a whole range of things. I think maybe if I had to, um, if I if I reflect on what you just said, maybe there's a couple of things. I don't think I really appreciated the importance of um, – when one gets to the point where one is, quote, old, whatever age that is, uh, the importance of having a sense of purpose still and of being engaged socially with people. Mm. I, I don't think you think much about that, you know, when you've got stuff you do every day and, you know, life just goes on. But um, I, I think – so I'm, I, I think if there was one thing I took away, it would be that I want to work hard to make sure that when I'm – 95, I've got a deep sense of purpose and I'm busily doing something I'm really excited about and I've got lots of people to interact with. Mm, Well, that's a wonderful thought and great advice for anybody. And I agree, very important to sort of maintaining the best possible health and well-being and quality of life uh, as as one gets older. So, uh, well, Richard, this has been really interesting, really helpful and so inspiring. I want to thank you again for um, spearheading this. Because uh, I just think there has not been nearly enough similar efforts, at least visible to me here in the Bay Area. There may be others, you know, elsewhere uh, in the country. And it's, it's just been really exciting to see it growing. And I enjoyed learning from what your explorers <laughs> find out. I just wish I had more, more time to read their, their reports. Do you have any last tips for audience members who are interested in technology and aging other than your website? Do you have any other sort of... Um, sites or resources or, or communities that you think are especially interesting or that people should know about? Uh, well, you know, I love your website. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Apart from that, no, I, 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 I don't know that I've got any other great insights. You know, we're busily working away and hopefully what we put on our website is useful to people. But I, I do think these uh, face-to-face interactions and explorations um, you know, uh, are incredibly interesting for, to people, apparently. Um, actually, I, d- I did think of just one more thing I want to say, actually, if I could. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, um, we didn't really talk much about the sponsored explorations, which is fine. But, um, you know, what I've noticed is uh, we're increasingly doing what I call co-design type projects where um, a group of engineers and designers from the company and a group of explorers plus me – um, get together and design a project that involves all of those people sitting together in a room doing something, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just a focus group or just kind of watching what they do or following them around at their house. It's actually uh, collaboratively taking some steps in the design process, which leverages um, not just the lifestyle of the older adults, but their ideas, you know, and their creativity. And um, 
what has been incredibly interesting and and gratifying has been that at each of the ones we've done, the engineers afterwards, or you know, the designers have said, um, "Wow, <laughs> we had no idea that this was going to be so." useful and revealing, right? That's the one side, which you'd like to think that would always be the case when they're interacting with their potential customers anyway. But then the older adults uh, usually say things like, um, you know, that was so amazing because they just sat there the whole time glued to everything I said. No one's asked my opinion like that for years. Mm. And, um, you know, just that whole sense of empowerment of um, people taking them seriously and listening to what they have to say, uh, you can just tell it's really, it's really um, uh, sort of life affirming. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the way we design it, everyone gets paid at the end too. So that's kind of a nice little extra benefit. But, but it's that it's that fact of being part of something and really making a difference. I think people get a lot out of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're completely right. And I just, again, I wonder why it has taken so long. <laughs> you know, to, to happen because, uh, as you know, the number of challenges or issues to address is not short. There's lots and lots there. And, and I agree so many older adults who have insights to contribute. And, um, and I love the way you brought up that it's not just about being in a focus group, but about being involved earlier on in the process of, of really designing the product, which starts by really understanding what the issue is. That's right. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then kind of coming up with solutions. That's the other part that, um, you know, I think everybody can be good at that. Mm-hmm. Right. So thank you again, Richard, for talking to us about this. And I'm going to encourage the audience again to take a look at your site where, first of all, there are these, you know, these summaries where where you and your longevity, the the longevity explorers have sort of thought through a certain category of of, uh, of product or, or challenge or the options for addressing some kind of, of challenge that came up for the group. And then you, there's also the possibility of, of learning if there's a, a uh, Longevity Explorer Club near you or potentially even starting one near you. It sounds like that's hopefully going to become more common. And then the potential of joining in with the sponsored explorations as an older adult or maybe even as a, a family member, a spouse or an adult child. Definitely. If you're quite involved, I think, in uh, helping an older person, with their care, it sounds like there may be some opportunities to help develop better products that could make some of that more manageable. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And thank you, Leslie. I've really enjoyed talking to you as always. Okay. Yes. Well, we're both here in the Bay Area, so we, uh, we'll keep in touch and we'll have you back at some point to tell us more about what uh, you and the explorers have, have learned. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes, and I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.